The fourth conference that I'm privileged to give to you all is, I've entitled it, The Science of the Saints. There are two kinds of science here on earth. One is heavenly and the other is worldly. The heavenly is that which leads us to please God and makes us great in heaven. The worldly is that which leads us to please man, ourselves, and to become great in the eyes of the world. This worldly science to God is folly and madness. Not that there aren't many wonderful truths, we're not disputing that, how men can fly through the air using the fuel that comes from the ground or elsewhere how you can drive your cars, how man has been able to harness the principles of nature and use them for good. We're not talking that. But this worldly science often makes men fools when they try to cultivate it. It makes them fools and like brutes, for it teaches them to gratify the carnal appetites like beast. St. John Chrysostom tries to explain it. He's a little bit more difficult to understand at times. He says, we call him a man who preserves complete the image of man. What is the image of man? Well, one of the intrinsic qualities of man is, for most men, rationality. He can think, he can reason. Hence, it is true that if a brute were ever to act according to reason, we should say that that brute acted like a man. And on the contrary, which we do see all the time, men acting solely upon sensual appetites and contrary to, to reason, we call him a brute. The derivative of the word brutal, animal-like, some of our behavior at times becomes that. But to return to the human and natural knowledge of earthly things, what do men know of all things which they have studied? What are we but so many blind moles? I guess moles are blind. There's one lady, some of you Pennsylvania Dutchmen might be proud. There's one lady in Cincinnati, they call her the mole lady. She's killed over a hundred moles this year. She goes out and watches her yard and then she digs into the ground and that poor blind mole. That's what we are at times. Who, besides the truth which we know by faith, known only by means of our senses or conjecture, so that everything is uncertain, everything is fallible. Evolution and the, and the many, many theories of evolution, most of them are fallible and uncertain. The knowledge of the world puffs us up. It makes us proud and it disposes us to despise others who know less than us. We must remember the very important counsel of St. James God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. 
If men would act by reason in the divine law and thus would learn to provide not so much for temporal existence, which ends very quickly, as for eternity, they would assuredly not occupy themselves in the attainment of knowledge except as that which is beneficial to their soul in helping them to obtain happiness, helping them to avoid the pains of the eternal fire. St. John Chrysostom advises what I had the privilege as a kid of doing. When I was a kid, I still am according to some, when I was a kid, I, had, I was blessed with three sisters and two brothers. One of my sisters, after she would, she would kill me for saying this, but I'm going to do it anyway. After she'd get her sugar high, eating half a dozen donuts on Sunday, and rest for the whole afternoon because of her sugar high, then we'd go down to the cemetery and pray for our relatives. That was 40-something years ago, almost 50 years, almost 50 years ago. Those are the things that I treasure about my childhood. First of all, having a wonderful sister like I have. She is a wonderful sister. She's a saintly sister. And those practices which truly meant something in my childhood. Not that every moment was spent having fun or this or that or with trifles. But once in a while I did something that was really beneficial to my soul. Really beneficial to the souls of those in the, in the cemetery. St. John Chrysostom advises us to walk amongst the tombs of the dead in order to learn the knowledge of salvation. The cemetery is a great school. It's a school which teaches hard truths, especially the truth of the vanity of the world. We go amongst the tombs. Of course, the bodies are under the ground, so we're speaking figuratively here. And we see nothing but corruption. We see bones. We see worms eating flesh. From all the skeletons, we can't tell who was learned, who was ignorant. All that we see is that with death, everything, all the glories of this world will pass. What remains of Cicero, one of the greatest thinkers of all times? What remains of Socrates? These are brilliant men. Their bone differs from none others, no other bones. They have slept in their sleep and they found nothing in their hands. They're empty. The only thing that you'll have is your good works. The only thing that you have will be that by which you merit it. Blessed is the person who has received from God the science of the saints. The science of the saints is to know and to love God. How many in the world are well-versed in literature, in mathematics, foreign language, ancient languages? But what will it profit them if they do not know and do not love God? They may have made a great name for themselves here on earth, but our existence on earth, as scripture says, is but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. Blessed is he, says St. Augustine, 
who knows God, even if he knows nothing else. He that knows God and loves him, though he be ignorant of what others know, is more learned than the learned who know not how to love God. The unlearned must rise and seize upon heaven. How learned was St. Francis of Assisi? Another one of my sisters, a different one, not the sugar high one. The other one, she's a voracious reader. She was reading about St. Francis of Assisi. She informed me a year ago, or two years ago, that St. Francis of Assisi took the very spot vacated by Lucifer, the light bearer. So holy and close to God was St. Francis of Assisi. We have a beautiful painting in there over the altar, restored by Mrs. Jane Tesso. It's a painting that came from a church in Cleveland up on the ceiling. There were many of them just cut down, gotten rid of. They laid in our basement in Cincinnati for many years until one day I decided to unroll that carpet that was rolled up down there. And to my surprise were some beautiful paintings. How learned was St. Francis of Assisi? How learned was St. Pat? How long learned was St. John of God? He was considered pretty bright. Ignorant in worldly knowledge, but they were well skilled in the divine. Thou hast hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and thou hast revealed them to the little ones. By the wise were here to understand the worldly, who labor for possessions, who labor for glory in this world. Ask my ninth and 10th graders what the definition of glory is. It is honor joined with praise. And they think little of eternal joys. By the little ones were to understand simple souls, who know little of the worldly wisdom but devote their care and their time to pleasing Almighty God. You have devoted your time this weekend to please Almighty God. You will be richly rewarded for this. You know it's said, I don't know if it was St. Alphonsus or St. Augustine who says, when you make a retreat, that if you were to die within a year, you would receive a plenary indulgence. That means if you were to die in some car wreck or a fire or an accident or something, you would go straight to heaven because of your retreat that you made. I haven't seen it verified in writing yet. I haven't looked too hard. I think it's a wonderful sentiment. It certainly is within the powers of the pontiffs to grant a plenary indulgence for such action. Let us envy those who know many things. Let us not envy those who know many things. Let us only envy those who know how to love our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us imitate St. Paul who said he desired to know nothing but Christ crucified. We shall be happy if we attain to the knowledge of the love which our Lord has for us. And from this book of love obtain to the love of him, Christ. God is our true and perfect lover. Where shall we find another who has loved us as he has? 
It's, a seeming, it's seemingly all one way. He does so much for us. We've lost much time. When I was in third grade, I was probably every bit of three feet, maybe three and a half feet, maybe four. Third grade, probably the little assertive boy we have here is about, about that. Okay. I had a woman, she looked like she had a crew cut. Older lady. She was she always wore a skirt as public school. She always had a skirt on. She was an old lady. And she would always say every day to the class when we were talking too much, a moment lost can never be regained. St. Alphonsus says, we have lost much time in attaining the knowledge of many things that have no profit for your soul and have thought little of knowing how to love God. Christ has called us, as I mentioned in the first conference, he's called us to his holy love. Today, dear men, we leave all, and from this day forward, our one thought must be to please God our highest good. Only with the help of God will we no longer be our own, will be entirely His. We're going to please Him by prayer. Prayer, our eternal safety consists in prayer. Prayer is not only useful, it is necessary for salvation. It's not a counsel, it's a command, it's a precept. Our Lord says, seek and it shall be given to you. One of the first heretics that my seventh and eighth graders learned in church history, when we use the second volume, is John Wycliffe. Some people call it Wycliffe. He was condemned by the Council of Constance he said that prayer was a subject of divine counsel and not a command. The doctors of the church always say that one cannot be held innocent of grievous sin who neglects to recommend himself to God at least once a month. And at times when he finds himself assaulted by severe temptation. That's like telling you to go to communion once a year. Why did the church have to make such a law? Go, go to communion once a year. You should, I had a priest, an Irish priest, a woman who didn't believe in the Blessed Sacrament, told him, if I believed that Jesus were present in that tabernacle, I would crawl to the altar. But you and I believe it. And sometimes we can barely force ourselves out of the pews to go and to entertain our Lord. The reason of this necessity of recommending ourselves often to God arises from our inability to any, do any good work or entertain any good thought of ourselves. Our Lord said this, without me you can do nothing. St. Philip Neri, he was criticized by St. John Bosco's people because St. Philip Neri always had a party going on in his rectory. I don't mean he had an actual party, but there was laughter. There was a good sense of humor. He was always encouraging people by uh, cheerfulness. St. John Bosco believed in cheerfulness too. 
But some thought that St. Philip Nier was a little liberal. I won't argue with him with the title St. Philip Neri. St. Philip Neri said that he despaired of himself. On the other hand, St. Augustine wrote that God desires to bestow his grace, but only on those who beg them. And especially St. Augustine said, God only gives the grace of perseverance to those who seek it. It is a fact that the devil never ceases to go about and try to devour us. I don't know if I told you or the ladies, every night the priest prays it in his divine office, Compline, how the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And therefore we need to defend ourselves by prayer. Continual prayer is necessary for men, says St. Thomas. I believe that's Thomas Aquinas. Your actions must be a prayer. You can't go around all day with your hands folded, your eyes lifted to heaven, but your actions serve as a prayer. Every time you dip your roller into the paint tray, Jesus, I love you. Every time you throw a shovel full of grain into the grinder to make feed for the cows, Jesus, I love you. Every time you dim your lights in the dark, Jesus, I love you. Every time you hear a siren, it is with this attitude and this constant presence of God in the mind, in his mind, that St. Patrick was able to pray 20,000 prayers a day. Each of those ejaculations was a little prayer. Our actions must become prayers. How else can we overcome the devil without who roams seeking to devour? Jensenius was a heretic, I think, from France. He taught the error that the observance of certain precepts was impossible and that sometimes grace itself fails to render it possible to us. Some things are impossible for us to do if we do not pray. If we pray, there is nothing impossible to us that God would want of us and will not help us with. God is faithful. He does not tempt us to be tempted. He does not uh, suffer us to be tempted above our strength. Yet he desires that when we're tired and when we're tried, we should have recourse to him to resist temptation. Many of you have raised children. Some of you have even raised teenage children. And there are times that you simply want them to ask for the help before you will grant it to them. Our Lord, the great council of Trent teaches with these words, God does not command, command things that are impossible, but in commanding us, he counsels us to do what we can and to seek aid for what we cannot do. That's why it's always so important to be in the state of grace, to be pleasing to our Lord. He is ever ready to help us with his aid in order that we be not overcome by temptation. But there are certain temptations we cannot overcome without prayer, especially those against holy purity. 
We cannot overcome them unless we pray. If we expose ourselves willingly to impurity, we will infallibly fail. Because I knew that only could I preserve continence if God should grant it. Therefore I went to the Lord and I besought him, the book of wisdom. You don't ask, you don't get. We can never overcome our carnal appetites if God does not help us. And God will not help us unless we pray. But if we pray, we can be assured that we will have the power to resist the devil in everything and the strength of God who strengthens us to do all things. It is very useful for us to have recourse to the saints who had great power with God. <clears throat> By the intercession of the saints, we have access to tremendous graces. Through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we not only have access to special graces, we have access to her divine son. I pity the Protestants. I don't, I'm not angry at them. We should not look upon them as lesser individuals. We pity them. They will not venerate the mother of God. They will not love the one Jesus loved most in life. St. Bernard calls Mary the giver of grace and he calls her the mother of our salvation. He says that we should seek and seek through Mary. St. Peter, Damien, St. Bonaventure, St. Antoninus, and many others, countless others, would concur on that. Therefore, men, let us humbly yet confidently go before the throne of grace and receive of the superabundant generosity of the Blessed Mother and our Lord. Christ now sits upon a throne of mercy. On the last day, that throne will be exchanged for a throne of justice and of judgment. St. James, whom the Protestants have erased, says, if any man need wisdom, let him ask it of God, who gives to all men liberally and reproaches not, meaning even if the sinner asks for a grace, God will give it if there's true repentance of one's sins. James, the first chapter, verse five. Wisdom is the knowledge of the salvation of the soul. The wise man seeks grace from God. If they are good for the soul, his soul in particular, God will grant it. God does not reproach the sinner, but he freely and willingly gives the graces requested without remembrance of the sinner's insults. Reminds me of a story, a sermon I was preparing. It ended up being 40 pages, so I haven't given it yet. It was prepared several years ago, waiting for that nice hot day when the air conditioner is not working, uh, on the exorcism out in Erbil, Missouri, or even, uh, I'm not sure where it is, out west, it's the, mo it's the most uh, recorded exorcism in the United States, I believe. 
And during that exorcism, the priests made everybody before the exorcism go to confession. It's those who were helping him, priests and nuns who were helping him, and lay people, lay women, hold down a woman who was possessed and things. Because when, he had, when they had gone to confession, the devil could not use their sins. He couldn't bring them up as if his memory had been erased. God is forgetful of our sins, the sin of the penitent sinner. Doesn't matter how many times you've committed that sin. Doesn't matter how violent it was, if I can use that term, scarlet it was. God forgets them when we repent of them and when we change. And he gives the grace requested without remembering the sinner's insults to him. When we cease to pray, we're lost. Prayer and request are most pleasing to God, for God himself assures us that whatever we ask in his name, he will give it to us. If we always recommend ourselves to God in the time of temptation, he will always give us the grace to overcome the temptation. We only can hope for victory if we recommend ourselves to our Lord. I did anoint Nick Reeve because it could be something quite serious. You know, the, you don't know the rules that the hospitals have put in even for priests. I spent many hours outside the emergency room door or the operating door waiting, out waiting the doctors and nurses to let me in to see someone who had COVID supposedly. And so I did anoint Nick. One day you're going to die. I am too. It is a most useful practice to think on our finality on this earth. Every year you dutifully go to the communion rail on Ash Wednesday. The priest places the ashes on your forehead, reminds you that you are made of dust, and unto dust you shall return. Each time I do a funeral, I am reminded of the fragility of mortal life. The hermits, one of the most wonderful talks I heard Father Randolph give was his experiences on the Greek island of Greek peninsula of Mount Athos, where there were 40 or 50 monasteries. Women weren't allowed on the peninsula. Female animals were not allowed on the peninsula. Father Randolph went there and they usually pray the office standing, the Greek, the Greek office. It went on for three, four, five hours. They would be reciting from memory in Greek, the divine office. One of the most uh, interesting thing was that he said that there's a lot of young men that want to embrace that type of a life. And so they have, they have ledges there facing the, the sea. And on those ledges, men live their entire life, maybe in a space of five feet by 10 or 20 feet, in a cavern maybe into the side. So there was a waiting list. I'm sure your name was on that list. There was a, you're after me. There was a waiting list to get onto one of those ledges when they 
Every day someone would come and lower food to them with a rope, lower water to them, and that's how they lived. I'm sure they stank. I'm sure they never bathed. I'm sure they didn't shave with a nonarchal shaver on the ledge there. But these men spent their entire lives praying to God. And when they died, then somebody else could take over the ledge. Their bones would be pushed off. And the new person would come and live there. That's a hard life of which none of us are willing to embrace. At least not yet. Each time I do a funeral, I'm reminded of the fragility of mortal life. The most precious furniture these hermits carried with them for those legends of being caverns and things was a cross and a skull. The cross was to remind them of the love which our Lord Jesus Christ had for them. The skull was to remind them that soon they would die also. Remind them of their own death. These two, the skull and the cross, help them to persevere in their penitential works until their last days. Dying in poverty in the deserts, they died more content than kings in their palaces because they died in the love and friendship of our Lord. In this life, one man lives longer, another shorter, but for everyone, death comes, the end comes. And nothing will comfort you at the point of death, but that we have loved our Lord Jesus Christ, but that we have endured with patience the labors of this life for him, for love of him. Not the riches we've gained, not the honors we've obtained, not the pleasures we've enjoyed. None of these will console us simply the love we have for God. All the greatness of the world cannot comfort the dying man. The greatness that he has achieved in the world only serves to increase his pains. And the more he has gained of it, the more he suffers when it's pulled away from him. What profit is the kingdom of God? I'm sorry, what profit is a kingdom in the hour of death? Many women and men in the act of gaining riches hear the pronouncement of death. Set thy house in order, for thou shalt die and live no longer. The priest prays over the individual dying. Depart, O Christian soul, from this world. Render an account to our Lord Jesus Christ. The anointed person thinking to himself, I'm not prepared to die. He never will be. We never will be prepared to die. But death is not a respecter of persons. He's going to die. He's going to die as God has determined he would die. During this retreat, you will receive graces to help you spend the rest of your life serving and loving God. To everyone the end comes, and with the end comes that decisive moment on which a happy or a wretched eternity depends. If we consider the moment we will begin eternity, if we consider the account 
of our sinful lives, we would live much holier lives. We read in the book of Deuteronomy, oh, that they were, were wise and would understand and would consider their last end. That's what you've done. You are wise men. And it's so good to see the young here, the young who are setting their lives in a good course. The considerate do not devote themselves to amassing riches or labor to become great in this perishing world. The considerate consider and think how to become saints, how to become great in that life which will never end. We must take care to live as pilgrims in this life, knowing that we shall soon leave it. All things on this earth either leave us or we leave them. Christ bids us lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can which neither moth nor rust can destroy. The treasures of earth cannot content you, men. The treasures of this earth speedily end. Only heavenly treasures will never end. It is a folly to seek fame in this world and to be inundated with the trifles which the world has to offer. True happiness consists in your intimate relationship with Almighty God. Happiness is found in true love of God. Pray to our dear lady that she procure for you everlasting love of her divine son. God love you and God bless you. If you, if you make a short visit to the chapel, please, we'll begin lunch at 1235. Okay, that's almost 15 minutes from now, 1235. God love you and God bless you. We stand and we'll say our prayer.